0: Hi, I'm Mark Chavez. I'm one of the hosts of Let's Make A, a comedy docu-series podcast about the creative process. Each season, my co-hosts, Ryan Beal, Maddie Kelly, and I, take on an artistic challenge and you follow our journey. In Let's Make A Sci-Fi, we wrote a science fiction TV pilot. In Let's Make A Rom-Com, we wrote a romantic comedy film. And on our latest season, Let's Make A Horror, we produced a horror short film. And when we run into trouble, we interview Hollywood experts people who have worked on big things like The Blair Witch Project, The Office, Star Wars, Mamma Mia, and more. All 3 seasons of Let's Make a are available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Today on the show, you're going to hear my conversation with Cynthia Nixon, but let's start with this. The theme song to Sex and the City, which premiered 25 years ago. And when it premiered, it changed television forever. Changed it in the way it talked about sex, the way it talked about navigating life as a woman with a career over 30. And you might have gone on to the show because you heard about the fashion or the jokes or the sex or something like that. But chances are, if you were a Sex and the City diehard fan, it was because of the friendship between the four women. Carrie... Charlotte, Samantha, and Miranda. And judging by the conversations that happened in our office when we booked Cynthia Nixon, chances are you spent a lot of time with your friends talking about whether or not you were a Carrie or Charlotte or a Samantha or a Miranda. Apparently, I'm somewhere between a Carrie and a Miranda. In 2021, they all got together for a revival called And Just Like That. There have been two seasons so far. It was announced last year that a third season is on its way this year in 2024. I got the chance to talk to Cynthia Nixon, who plays Miranda on the show. I actually talked to Cynthia once before, back when she was running for governor of New York. So this is someone who thinks about the politics of the show as much as she does about the show itself. And even if you're not a fan of Sex in the City, the way she talks about that, about race and around gender in the show is worth listening to. Here's my conversation with Cynthia Nixon. How are you?
1: I'm very well. Thanks so much.
0: What what are the what are the hours and like minutes and days like between filming and rapping and this thing coming on coming on the air?
1: Well, The first season, I mean, we had barely, barely, barely wrapped. It was a matter of like, I think less than three weeks, maybe even like two weeks between the time that we wrapped and the first episode aired, um, or episodes aired. Um, this was a little more civilized. I think we wrapped in, I want to say April. So, um, but still, you know, finishing touches are being put on the last maybe four or five episodes now. Um, but
0: yeah. How are you?
1: I'm great. I'm great. Are you it nervous? Just, um, are
0: you any of that? You know?
1: I'm j- uh, not really. I'm more excited. I mean, friends. You know, it started airing today, and so I've already heard from a from a few people who've seen it and loved it, and you know, that's really exciting. You know, people. You know, friends, family. You know, watch you work on something for however many months that was. Um, and then it's like finally, you know, it's like Christmas morning, you get to finally unwrap the packages and, and everybody can see what's inside. So it's really exciting. And we had a we had a not really a premiere because of the writer's strike, but we had like a kind of a an in-house in-family screening um, last night, which was which was so delicious. I mean, it's TV, so you're supposed to watch it in your living room, but there is something so incredible about watching particularly a comedy in a, a theater full of people, and and you know, and laughing, you know, hearing all those laughs in a in a big theater.
0: How about the decision to do it at all? Like, how about the decision to come back to the show at all? How did that come about?
1: You know, Michael Patrick King, um, you know, called me one day out of the blue. He's our main director, writer, producer, um, all powerful, um, creative person. And he, uh, you know, he, he talked to me about it. And I mean, really, you could have knocked me over with a, I don't know, a a piece of paper. Um, I was so startled. Um, And at first, I was very reluctant, I couldn't imagine it. Um, But, you know, everybody was really patient with me and got to a place where we were all just excited about
0: it. Why, Why were you startled?
1: Well, I mean, I never think any of these new incarnations, like after the series ended, I never thought there would be a movie. And then I never thought there would be a second movie. And, you know, I just always think we're done. Um, But also it had been so long since we'd done it as a TV series, like the TV series wrapped in 2004. So it's not even just that we started doing it 25 years ago or it started airing 25 years ago, but. We haven't done it on television since, you know, almost 20 years now. So um, and also I just I couldn't quite imagine it. And also, I guess, you know, something that had always really bothered me was how and how how white a show it had. It was the original series. And, you know, I grew up in New York. I'm from New York and New York is not a white city, you know. We got a lot of white people here, but we got a lot of everybody else, too. So um, I was trying to imagine, you know, how we were going to, you know, change that. And uh, and I kept saying to Michael Patrick King, you keep telling me we're going to make really big changes, but I'm scared that I'm going to show up and it's going to be exactly the same house, just with different wallpaper and different carpet. And he keeps saying, no, no. That house is done. We're building a whole new house. At a certain point, it was just a leap of faith, but he did exactly what he said. I'm starting with spring semester next week.
0: Oh, Oh, really? Next week?
1: Are you going to, you know, go crazy? Too late. Already happened. No, color your hair. I just think the gray ages you. Charlotte, I'm getting a master's in human rights to pair with my law degree. So hopefully I can become an advocate for women who need one. I don't have to be a spicy redhead to do that. I mean, we can't just stay who we were, right?
0: I, I understand what you're saying there. You were you were excited to take the show on. You were, you know, that it had been so long since the show had been on. Um, the uh, And you were also worried because, hey, you know, looking back on the show, you saw problematic things in it that maybe you didn't see the first time the show was... Well, you
1: know, no, we were very... I mean, I was very aware of them the first time, really? too. But, but now they're just, you know... 20 feet high when you look at it now. Uh, but, you know, there was also an incredible pull because not only are were we so excited to reunite with each other and get to be together, working together, but also we were excited to be together as these people and have these fictional characters interact again because these characters are really, really dear to us and, and we miss them.
0: Well, in that case then, what? what, and this is fun for me to ask you, What makes Miranda Miranda to you?
1: Miranda is really opinionated. She's really kind of ferocious. She's a little aggressive. Um, And she she's very sure of her opinions. But there's also a fair amount of bluster that comes with it. And I think that, you know, she very, back in the day, she was very cynical and very quippy and um, kind of shunned a lot of the traditional f- female things like motherhood and marriage and domesticity in general. What are we talking about? Charlotte's boyfriend's balls? That's it. I'm out of here. All we talk about anymore is big or balls or small how does it happen that four such smart women have nothing to talk about but boyfriends? It's like seventh grade with bank accounts. What about us? What we think, we feel, we know. Does it always have to be about them? But then, you know, when we when we pick her up in the in the new series, you know, she's been married for a long time and uh, the marriage has kind of gone gone stale. And she's just trying to be a good sport, but she feels really trapped and she feels like. She and her husband want really different things. He just sort of wants to, you know, sit around and watch TV and have cozy dessert. And, you know, and Miranda's like, look what's happening. The world is burning. Look at Trump. Look at global warming. Look at all this racism and xenophobia and homophobia. Like, we've got to, you know, this is the last moment that I want to be sort of sitting in my house and, you know, you know, eating half Sundays. Right. I want to be I've spent all my life being a, a corporate lawyer and I now feel like I'm part of the problem. And so I want to leave that world behind and and actually do human rights law and and try and try and do a kind of a law that helps people rather than just makes money for corporations.
0: What I find interesting about that is I think when people hear that description who haven't seen the, the first season of the, of the new iteration of the show, they would think that Miranda nails it. That Miranda, like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to leave my corporate job behind and I'm going to I'm going to save the world and I'm going to speak up for 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 people who don't have don't have a voice. But one of the scenes that got a lot of attention, you know, a, a lot of criticism, a, a lot of praise, a lot of like just discussion is this really early scene in the I mean, it's the first season. It's the first episode of the first season, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and um, and Miranda walks in for her first sort of human rights law class. And sort of delivers this series of just awful racially tone-deaf statements and comments. Hey,
1: that's where the professor sits. I am the professor. You're Nia Wallace? <laughs> yes. Why do you seem so surprised? Well, your braids. A law professor can't have hair like mine? Why is that? Oh no, no, no. I didn't I didn't mean because of the braids. I was I was I, I was just thrown because The braids are are so different than the hair in your photo on the Columbia website. My comment had nothing whatsoever to do with it being a black hairstyle. I I knew that you were black when I signed up for this class. Uh, That was important to me. You signed up for this class because I'm black?
0: I think what I'm trying to get is you also watched Miranda try and fail.
1: Yeah. But I think, I mean, to me, it was so quintessentially Miranda, right? A person who... Is is all excited about this new thing that she's going to do. You know, be a student and start talking about. You know, be in parts of discussions talking about white supremacy and um, xenophobia and you know what's happening all over the world. And she just, you know, she's 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 out of her element. She's out of her comfort zone. Um, and so, in her eagerness to you know, be a good student and get an A, she kind of gets a D minus. Um, But it's not that she says anything so horrible. She just is sort of, you know, fumbling. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of Miranda that always has been a a bit of a blusterer and a fumbler and then has to come, you know, go back and and clean up the mess a little bit.
0: Miranda also um, lives uh, life as a as a queer woman in this in in this new iteration of Sex and the City you know Cynthia it's it's not in my it's not in my job description to get you to talk about anything you don't want to talk about but the 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 in in 2004 i think 2004 you came out as well you came out as queer yourself like what what was it like to explore that part of Miranda in this in this show
1: um yeah i mean i thought it was great you know it was a very short conversation that Michael Patrick King and I had about well what are we going to do with Miranda is she going to is she going to stay is she going to be straight is she going to is she going to be gay is she going to going to be bisexual you know what's going to happen with her and I thought well you know we're trying to you know bring in all these things that are happening all kinds of diversity including you know gender and sexual orientation diversity and so why not like I'm a I'm a queer woman why not Why not have her, you know, um, find her way into that? Um, So, yeah, I mean, it seemed like an easy, it seemed seemed like an easy and sort of natural choice, I guess I would say.
0: An easy and natural choice is a great way to put it because I think afterwards there was, you know, there was this conversation. Ah, you know what? I mean, I, I, I don't even love talking about things that the internet say, but like there was this conversation about, I think a lot of queer people saw that, uh, you know, appreciated that, that, that for Miranda and a conversation began online of like, was, was Miranda always queer? I started to look back at the first iteration of the show in a, in a different way. Did you pay attention to any of that?
1: I didn't pay attention to any of that, but I have to say from my own coming out from my own, when I fell in love with my wife and then, you know, confirmed reports that I, that I I was dating a woman Um, I experienced, I mean, it was a it was a long time ago, as you say, but I experienced a fair amount of that. Like people really wanting to impose a narrative on me that I had either always been queer and just been hiding it or had always been queer, but was like really out to lunch about myself. And neither of these things are true. You know, you can have, you can be a woman and have been with men all your life and love them and then. Something happens. You meet a person, or something happens in your life, and you fall in love with a woman. And for me, it, it was not like a. It was pretty seamless, I have to say, in my life, and it was interesting. I was I was talking to um, Abby McEnany, who um, was at our premiere last night. She's an amazing woman from um, Work in Progress, uh, a TV show that she had, um, and she's a, she's a lesbian and. She said, you know, she always used to describe herself as a, as a, you know, think of herself as a lesbian and because it was either you were a lesbian or bisexual or straight, but lesbian or bisexual. And she said, well, I'm not really bisexual. But then she said once younger people started playing with the formula and the idea of fluidity came up, she was like, oh, fluid, like I'm fluid, right? It's because like bisexuality seems like you have to be divided in two and be like half gay and half straight but she was like, when I, you know, fluid, it's like, yeah, there is some part of me that's, that's straight. You know, I don't have to be a hundred percent gay all the time.
0: And you, I think
1: that that's one of the, you know, I think there were so many victories that queer people experienced at the time when we started having those, those victories in terms of marriage and the military and all those things. Um, and a lot of a lot of those victories were based on legal arguments, which was like, there is a group of people and they are gay and they've always have been gay and they always will be gay. And we're discriminating against them because they're never going to want to fall in love with and marry and be with somebody of the opposite gender. But now that we have those 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 rights and and people feel much more comfortable coming out, um I think we can we can expand our view to acknowledge that actually there are some people who are like almost 100 percent gay and there are some people who are like almost 100 percent straight. And then the rest of us, you know, fall fall at many different spots along the continuum.
0: Right. I understand what you mean. Now that there has been there had to there had to be legal recognition. There had to have been like clearly defined legal legal recognition, given that you know people were living closeted lives, people were being uh, harassed, people were were just unable to marry, people were unable to serve, all all those things. People were not
1: able to visit their their lovers in the hospital as they were dying because they had no legal right to them. They couldn't leave leave their mutual life savings to each other without paying exorbitant taxes because they were not acknowledged as a couple or a family.
0: And now that, for the most part. Rights have been established, at least in the United States and Canada, um, and it's. I mean, you know, we're, we're always standing on guard and 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 watching and, and protecting and making sure that these things don't change. We are able to have a bigger conversation around fluidity.
1: Yeah, although I have to say, you know, it's it's really dispiriting. Like I remember back in, I guess it was 2004. There was all this anti-LGBT. Maybe it was 2006. I can't remember what year. Uh, all this, all of this stuff on anti LGBT uh, legislation on on um, the ballot in in many many states, and they passed a, a really a raft full of hateful things. And I feel like we're very much at that moment again. Certainly about trans people, but also it's finding its way back to gay people through trans people and through particularly trans children and young people. And uh, I, I have a friend who lives in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, and she said. In her town now, anybody that's perceived as as LGBTQ or or a supporter of the LGBTQ um, community gets like hissed at in the street, and there's and they get they the things that they say to them they they hiss like groomer, mm. and that somehow the the homophobic people have promulgated this narrative that actually all these trans young people who are who are you know trying to emerge. Um, are being somehow groomed into that and sexualized from a young age, and nothing could be farther from the truth, you know. Um, and I think it's really like I, I saw this statistic a couple of days ago that actually all of this negative stuff and hateful stuff, uh, the Republicans in in the United States have now used to be like fifty six of them used to be you know supportive of LGBT rights, and now it's we've lost fifteen. 15- Points. And now it's like 41 percent. So we went to being like comfortably above half to like way below half. Mm. And I think all of this, all of this negative propaganda and all these lies really have a very chilling effect.
0: For people who don't know, the last time you and I talked was was around the time you were running for governor of New York. I, I want to I, I want to make sure when you host an, an arts show like this that you are not ever confusing um, art with legislation. Like legislation is a very important part of preserving and, and people's uh, lives. But I'm always curious about the art side of things too. Given everything you just you just talked to me about, and given that Sex in the City is a show that. It's is not an incredibly siloed show. This is a show that reaches an awful lot of people. I would Very even Very mainstream. Yeah. Very mainstream. I would mm-hmm. argue across the political spectrum. I would, I would argue that there would people be people who would be on the ideological right who might have questions around, am I a Carrie? Am I a Samantha? Am I a blah, 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 blah? Right, the new season of, of Sex in the City and, and the new iteration of it, there, there's non-binary representation. Uh, there's there's larger queer representation. There's non-binary and queer normalization in the in the show. Do you feel any responsibility? Do you feel like that that the show has is able to have an impact?
1: Yes, I mean, I think that the most important thing always seems to be in terms of changing people's hearts and minds is to come out to people you actually know, to come out to people in your family, to come out to people with the place where you work, in your where you go to school, in your neighborhood, in your place of worship. All of those things are like the top of the list important. But like right just barely below that is to have accurate representation of LGBT people on television and films and in books and, you know, stage and all that stuff, because, you know, there are a lot of people in a lot of parts of Canada and the U S who feel like, Oh, I've never met a queer person. I don't know any queer people or there aren't any queer people in my family. Well, that's probably not true, but if that, if you believe it to be true, there are people on television that you know who are queer and that some sometimes from the comfort of your own living room learning about queer people is actually maybe more important for you because you're not freaked out right you're not scared you're you're they're on on a glass box in your house also like will and grace you know having those having those funny funny gay guys in your living room you know i think was an enormously important um and having you know movies like Philadelphia and mm-hmm. things like that in and, and Broke Back Mountain enormously important.
0: I'm Tom Power you're listening to Q more of my conversation with Cynthia Nixon coming up. Hey I'm Candace Lim. And I'm Rachel Hampton. We are the host of ICYMI Slate's podcast about internet culture. And
1: we want to help you make sense of the need-to-know internet stories of the week.
0: Consider us your internet historians of past, present, and future. Of the
1: good, the bad, and the truly unhinged. From nuanced takes on stories we're
0: all closely following to the ones you wished you heard about.
1: In case you missed it, that's ICYMI, the podcast that's extremely online, so you don't have to be. Follow and listen now. It's given me a chance to, you know, see what are Miranda's next chapters. Because people always say, like, what do you think happened to Miranda? I was like, I have no idea.
0: I'm Tom Power. You're in the middle of my conversation with Cynthia Nixon. Cynthia is here because of her role playing Miranda on the HBO show Sex and the City. Sex and the City turned 25 last year. The third season of the revival and just like that has already been announced. It'll air uh, sometime later this year. Even if you didn't watch Sex and the City... And I didn't. You still probably heard about it, right? And you often hear about, like, Sex and the City's impact on our society and our own interactions with one another, how it changed the language we use around relationships and around sex. So this part of my conversation with Cynthia Nixon is sort of about that, the impact that the show made and continues to have on all of us around the world, whether we know it or not. What were your impressions of the show when it was first kind of brought up to you? The original show.
1: Right. I mean, I was very excited about it because it seemed so, well, number one reason was that it shot in New York, right? And I'm a New Yorker, so I didn't, I never wanted to go out to California to be on a show. Yeah. Um, but also that it was so focused on women, right? I, I'd never really read a, a, a TV script like that. And it was so, and it was just interesting and it was sort of almost anthropological, you know? But it was also just funny and satiric and it was different there wasn't anything like it he is so cute and funny and sexy and i really want to have sex with him but i don't know is it okay to f- one guy when you're pregnant with another guy's baby if one more person asks me that today i, I, I mean i'm not in a relationship with the father of the baby or anything Well, no, i've rarely heard that used as a plus but go on it's just is it tacky and beyond tacky, is it safe? Could the d- dent the baby? Where do you think dimples come from? Oh, that is so cute. And, I, and of course, I love my character because um, it was not the kind of thing I, I played at all. I played a lot of sort of, you know, I had long blonde hair for the first t- 20 years of my career. And I played a lot of like flower children and shy people and like nobody aggressive, nobody confrontational, nobody fast talking kind of. So Miranda and all her, all her cynical quips were just, I mean, just like uh, incredibly delicious to get a hold of.
0: There was no accounting, there was no predicting for how big that show would no. become. When did you first start to realize how big it was getting?
1: When they put us on the cover of Time magazine. They put the four of us on the cover of Time magazine and the, uh, the headline was, Who Needs a Husband? Because then it stopped it, it stopped really being about a fictional TV show. It was like kind of a moment in the zeitgeist. Because I think when, when shows that, you know, really break through in that way, it's because something is happening in the culture, but the culture hasn't caught up to it yet. And in our case, it was, um, you know, women are having careers and having full lives and having full sex lives, and they're not necessarily anxious to get married. They might not even... They might be ambivalent about getting married, not just now, but maybe ever. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of black middle-class families before Cosby was on, but we hadn't ever seen them, you know? And so it was like, oh, amazing. Like, I see a truth here that we've been pretending isn't true, but actually it is true. You had sex with Danny? Haven't we all had sex with Danny? Oh yeah, that one weekend that I was bored. Just a New Year's Eve kiss. I showed him a boob in a coat check room. Just one. I sensed he couldn't commit. Oh. Oh, okay. We're
0: over here. One thing that I'm, I've been finding interesting, and we had a conversation about this in our office the other day, was um, there was this podcast with Gwyneth Paltrow who, who was talking about, and, and, and listen, I, and I think Sex in the City and, and and Just Like That gets a lot of sort of cheeky and fun attention for its depiction of, of sex. But she said this really interesting thing. She said something along the lines of, like, the show normalized talking about things like sex toys. And mm-hmm. were you aware that sex in the city was changing things culturally as well.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, I think that okay, okay, I mean it was like beautiful to look at and it was very witty, um, and it was sometimes it was sexy and it was very, very funny. But um but it was also we took all these things out of the closet. All these, you know, sexual practices that all kinds of people were doing and then maybe other people weren't doing, but they were fascinated to know that some people were. And it was like, we're going to show it and then we're going to talk about it and we're going to debate it. And some of us are going to think it's great. And some of us are not. Obviously, the, the, the main viewership was was women. But I, I, I can't tell you over the years how many men have come up to me and said, oh, my girlfriend or my wife, Made me watch this show because it's her favorite show and I really was kicking and screaming and then I watched it and I loved it. And then we had all these really important conversations about stuff in the bedroom because of it that we probably never would have found our way to. Any other way. And so thank you.
0: And you're like, sir, I'm just trying to enjoy my burrito here. <laughs> sir, I'm just waiting for a bus. Yeah. I'm really just waiting for a bus. <laughs> yeah, really. I really appreciate that. I just, the subway stopped. <laughs> I can't go anywhere, but that doesn't mean you have to. I mean, but it's, it's interesting last time you and I talked, we talked a little bit about, about the subway. It, it, listen, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I wanted to ask this, and it's sort of a, a bigger question, but I don't know if I'll, I'll get a chance to ask it again. So, like you mentioned, like up until that point, you had, you had never played anyone like Miranda before. And for people who don't know you had like a really storied you know career you were you were a, a child actor you were acting when you were very young you had work in films like Amadeus and Little darlings you you were in Broadway you were, a, you were a director you ran for governor of New York and of course you were in one of the biggest TV shows of all time and now you're in and just like that the continuation of it is there a thread that connects all these things like are you driven by the same thing regardless of the work that you do
1: no I mean, I've been acting since I was 11 or 12, depending on what you count as my first job. And my my goal has always been to stay in New York and to work and to earn a living as an actor and to work with, you know, the best people, whether they're, you know, we're talking about writers or directors or actors um, and whether it's on stage or film or, or TV. Um, and that just continues to be true. And I, so I feel like, no, there's not a thread running through it in the same way like I wouldn't want all the, you know, the foods I eat to be suffused with orange. Like, I like orange, but I like lemon, and I like strawberry, and I like lime, and, you know. And so I think, no, I don't want to do the same, the same, the same, you know. I want to do things that not only take me in a different direction, but take anybody who's in the audience in a different direction. I don't want to just give them more and more of the same. And, you know, sometimes people ask me about, do I try and do arts projects that are, you know, acting projects that are, are, um, you know, represent my political point of view. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I certainly don't want to do, I've been offered a few things in my time that I thought were offensive and they really went against my political beliefs. So I obviously don't want to do those. But, um, you know, I feel like I, I enjoy, I enjoy agitprop. I enjoy political propaganda, you know, like the cradle will rock, you know, like old lefty commie musical kind of things, but I I don't want, I, I know they're not for everybody. And I really want to, you know, play people that are complicated and not just terrific people. You know, I think the thing is sometimes when you, when you, unless it's really buried, if you're going after, um, a, a, a political message in your art, it just it just flattens it and people just become two-dimensional really fast. Like I love Wonder Woman, but I don't want to play her.
0: What has this show given you?
1: This show has given me an amazing, you know, opportunity to connect with my beloved co-workers, you know, for of 25 years. It's given me um a chance to go back and actually say, Hey, we only showed these white people in New York. There are a lot more people here. Um, And it's given me a chance to, you know, see what are Miranda's next chapters? Because people always say like, what do you think happened to Miranda? I was like, I have no idea. I'm not a writer. (laughs) I'm just
0: trying to enjoy Um, my burrito again. Yeah, Right. I have no idea,
1: (laughs) but to get to play her and to get to allow her to age and to let her have these crises of, you know, wow, I'm drinking too much alcohol, or wow, I'm trying to stay in this marriage, but I'm just miserable, or wow, I I think that this thing I did with my career, maybe it was a mistake, and maybe I didn't want it to be a corporate lawyer, you know, for the rest of my life, and I have a chance to to not be.
0: Cynthia, um, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you, and I, and I love talking to you about not just about the art itself, but sort of the meaning behind it and congratulations on the show thanks for making the time
1: thank you so much it's always really a pleasure
0: that was my conversation with Cynthia Nixon who plays Miranda Hobbs on Sex and the City she just reprised that role in the revival it's called and just like that a third season is expected sometime this year it'll be on Crave in Canada and on HBO in the U.S. That is it for the show today. Tomorrow on the show, the Canadian fashion designer Aurora James is famous for shaking up her own industry. She pressured retailers to stock more black-owned businesses, sent Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to the Met wearing the Tax the Rich dress that she wore to the Met Gala. In her new memoir, Wildflower, Aurora James writes about her roots in both activism and fashion. She'll be here to talk all about that book. If you want to get in touch with me, q at cbc.ca is the best way to do that. I'm also on the Instagram thinking about giving it up for the New Year's resolution for a month. So get me while you can. I'm at Tom Joe Power. See you tomorrow. Later on.